Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. You guys look so good. Everybody looks so good. Uh, glad you're here at church. I'm so excited about this message. Excited about Christmas. I'm excited there's not two feet of snow right now because I don't know how many of you would be here. Let's just be honest if there was two feet of snow. So thank you for being at church. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this crazy world 2,000 years ago that just changed everything. Thank you, God. We, uh, we just humble ourselves before you and we recognize the greatest gift we could open is your love and your grace for us that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that you work in hearts as we're standing here together and singing songs and celebrating Christmas Eve. God, I pray that you, you surprise someone today. I pray that you speak to that person who's grown up in the church and who's heard 10,000 sermons. I pray you speak to that person who hasn't been in church in a long time. Everyone in between. We need you, God. All of us need your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to someone and tell them Merry Christmas and then you can have a seat. Merry Christmas. I get pajamas every Christmas, and that is what I'm excited about. My, anybody else get pajamas, or is that just, uh, yeah, okay, it's just us. But anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I get, get pajamas, but uh, it's fun, and uh, Christmas is a great thing. I woke up at 3.30 this morning. Anybody wake up at 3.30 this morning? Any, we should start a small group at 3.30 in the morning and just start, start with that. Some of you were working in the middle of the night and you're at church. God bless you. That's awesome. Um, but um, I read the gospel of, not the gospel of Luke, see, Luke chapter 2 uh, at 3.30 this morning. It's a story of, um, of uh, the birth of Christ. But I, I have to tell you, I, uh, I don't get tired of preaching about the birth of Jesus. This is an amazing story. Now, think about it this way. If there was no Easter we would not be in this room celebrating Christmas, would we? Jesus would have been just another religious figure, but because he rose from the grave, he changed everything. And now there's people literally all over the world that are celebrating a birthday this weekend. Wow. No one liked Jesus. Nobody liked Jesus. He rebooted our calendar system. Every time you write down a date, you're acknowledging there was something different about Jesus. So I'm glad you're at church, and I want to encourage you just to have an open heart. Can you do that? Have an open heart. Maybe maybe God has a word for you. How about that? How about them apples? Maybe God has a word for you. Um, in, my, in my neighborhood, there's this one uh, house. I want to be careful because you never know. They might be visiting Thorn Creek Church, and I don't know. it. But they, they've been doing the same dec uh, decoration for literally 20 years. Literally 20 years. And they, they put up this little pop-up stuff or whatever, and it hasn't changed in 20 years. Now, maybe there's a reason behind that, and, and, and I don't know the reason, but it's been the same decoration. So when I drive down my street, I see the same decoration, and I noticed it like the first few times. Like, oh, that's cool. But then um, after a while, I don't notice it anymore, and every year it's the same one, so I might notice it once, and then that's it. And I kind of forget that it's there. And I think we can do that with Christmas. 
I think we could go through the emotions of Christmas and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ by going into debt, <laughs> doing all that stuff, and eating ham or, or whatever it is, turkey or tamales, whatever you eat, uh, soup or whatever. We do all that stuff, and we can overlook, we can miss out on the incredible story of Christmas. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 uh, gives an account of the birth of Christ, and it's a beautiful, but we're in Matthew for a reason, because I'm going to jump to Matthew verse 1 a little bit later. But right now, let's start at verse 18, and here's the story of Christmas. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's certain things in the Bible that you just read by faith, and this is one of those, like, how does a woman become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Verse 19, Joseph, uh, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. They were engaged. She says, hey, I'm pregnant. Oh, who's the dude? There is no dude. Yeah, right. Peace out. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. And I can't blame him, right, man? You can't, I mean, that's, your, that's, that's what you're saying? Okay, we don't have to go through this. It's all right. I'm out. And so that's what he does. He's going to, but it says a lot about him that he wants to break the engagement quietly. Like he didn't post it all over Instagram and Facebook and let everyone know what a terrible person she was or any of that stuff. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him. Who? What's his name? One more time. You are to name him. For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus actually means Savior. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And check this out. He, he inserts this prophecy that occurred 700 years before Christ. We actually, I talked about this, I think it was last week. You can see it on YouTube. 700 years before Christ. Here's the prophecy from Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Wow. Uh, God, I, I thank you for your presence, and I thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins and my sins. You're such a good God. Now I pray, God, that you just bless this message again. You know, I preached this message already three times, and I pray a special anointing over this message right now, all of them, God. But I pray that you work in me and through me. May all of us hear a word from you, God. And if you want to hear a word from God, can you just make this your prayer and say, God, speak to me. Make that your prayer. Say, God, speak to me. 
Have your way in my heart. Change me. Well, wow, it's a powerful prayer. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. Amen. Um, Kaylee did such a wonderful job uh, showing you the theme of today's service. I should get an ornament while I talk about this. But we're talking about broken ornaments. And um, um, anybody break ornaments like right around Christmas time when you're putting up a tree? I seem to always break an ornament. And usually it's one that's like four generations old that came from Europe or something like that. They can't be replaced. And and I break it, and then usually the question is, why did you break the ornament? I'm like, well, I, it was an accident. I don't know why I did it. Why do you ask me that question? So for me, just uh, like the goal is not putting it on the tree. I guess the goal is to not break it. Um, y- yesterday, when we were on our way to church, we were like frantically coming to church. And uh, my wife, Grace, and my daughter, Hannah, and, uh, and Jay and Kaylee were already over here. But, uh, but I was with Grace and, and, uh, and, oh, mercy, this is making me so, I'm going to put it back up. Uh, but uh, 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 Grace said, hey, can you help me out with my necklace? And she had this beautiful necklace. Um, and, uh, and I said, sure. And I was in a rush, and she was in a rush, and I put my fingers on the clasp trying to put it in the little hole, and I broke it. And uh, literally, like, we're trying to get out of the house. Like, the best time to break something is, like, you're already running late. And um, so, anyway, I, I, I just shared that with you so you can have compassion for me or something. I don't know. But um, I think we could be like this. You know what I'm saying? It's like that other side of us that we don't always show off. You know, we show this other side to people, this Instagram side that's, you know, all filtered and looks good, but, but, you know, there's a side, there's a part of us like, like, if you only knew, you know what I'm saying? If you only knew the other side and, and my experiences, my hurts, all those things, the things that keep me up at night or things that I'm not proud about, all that stuff. Um, I think about families. Um, did you know there's not a perfect family out there? Every family is dysfunctional at some level. Like all of us have, you know, that Uncle Slick Willie and Aunt Edna who, and, and that creepy cousin who keeps staring at me and, and that person that I, shows up every once in a while, like why are they here and what do I say and what small talk are we gonna have? And, and then we have that other family member that nobody ever talks to. And let me just give you some assurance right now, you're one of those weird people. Sometimes we think everyone else is the weird one, you're weird to someone. And it's just life. Um, I I think about my family, and we're certainly not perfect by any stretch, and the family I I grew up with. Uh, Sometimes it gets really interesting. Like in my family... Um, I, I, uh, my mom and dad divorced. So, so there's this whole blended family situation that came into my life. Some of you know what that's like. It's like, you know what, uh, we're going to go visit mom and her new boyfriend, or we're going to go visit dad and my new mother. I, I don't know if I'm going to call her mother. And we're going to go visit my stepbrothers and sisters, and everybody's hoping we get along so we can take family pictures together and show everyone that we're a loving family. And sometimes it can just get really awkward, guys, right? It can just get really awkward. So in Matthew chapter 1, the story of Jesus, I just read to you the first uh, 18 or starting at verse 13. Oh, goodness. Let me put this. I almost dropped this thing. Let me put it back over here because... 
because Katie will be angry at me or something. Um, <clears throat> she needs to go to the rage room to let out her aggression. You guys should go check out the ornament rage room. But um, in Matthew chapter 1, before we started off at verse 18, there's um, this incredible genealogy of Jesus. It's Jesus's family tree. This is probably the most prestigious genealogy in all of humanity. I mean, if you're on this list, if you're on this list, it starts from Abraham, who's the father of faith, and it goes all the way to Mary and Joseph and and the birth of Christ. It's a pretty honorable genealogy when you look at it right when you look at it right there. The most exclusive. But yet, in all these names, and a lot of times when we read through these names, you know, if you read your Bible on a regular basis and you come across a bunch of whole names like this, you just jump over them because they're hard to pronounce a lot of times. And incidentally, if you don't know how to pronounce it, just fake it. Nobody knows what's the real pronunciation anyway. So, but when you go through them, you just need to remember this. Every name is a story. Every name is a life. And when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, as you come to the birth of Christ, you know what you find? Broken people. Broken people. You find step brothers and sisters and step moms and dads. You find adulterers. You find thieves. You find deceivers. You find liars. You find murderers. You find prostitutes. You find all of it in that list. Now, for me, guys, I'm grateful for that because it's evidence that God works through broken people. When we break an ornament, a lot of times we sweep it up and just throw it in the trash can. You know what God does? He puts it back together. He puts it back together. He heals. And check it out. All of those cracks that you had, the Lord is able to heal and bandage up. And then it becomes part of your story. And you can talk about how God worked in your life. That's what God does. So we're going to look at this, and I want to say this. The Christmas story is about a loving God who loves and works through broken people so they could become whole. That's what the Christmas story is. God works through broken people so they can become whole. We're going to look at three people in this family tree, three famous people, and maybe one that you're not expecting, or a couple that you're not expecting, and they all lead to Jesus Christ. And as I prayed about this message, the Lord gave me a word for each of these people, and I think all of us could identify with some of their challenges. So here's the first one we're going to go over here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Say Abraham with me. Abraham. That's the guy we're looking at. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. I left my hometown. I left everything I knew. All the people who had loved me, I knew it was the right thing, but still I was terrified. I was afraid and and that overflowed into every decision I made. I made a lot of mistakes. And my wife, well, she paid the price. My fear became her bitter laugh. 
We tried for children, but we were getting older and older, and something about the process just broke us slowly. She became resentful while I became colder. It just drained us, and our intimacy, it became so mechanical. The dream that someday we would have a baby of our own, that dream grew dim. We tried everything. All it did was create an even bigger wedge between us. The gap widened until we couldn't even touch. When we finally had our son, it felt like the love that had been lost between us took a deep breath in his lungs. But now for three days, I'm mourning him as I ask God, God, why, why would you take him back? How could you do this? It's, it seems so wrong. He had his mother's eyes. Why would you take him? Why would God break us? Why? I was alone in my pain. No one knew. I didn't dare whisper it. I left everything I knew, all the people who had loved me. And what did I have left? I was totally broken. Wow. Abraham. Eventually, if you follow Abraham's line, eventually you find Joseph. But this is Abraham, part of Joseph's family tree, part of the family tree of Jesus. This is Abraham. Abraham, um, I love that video and, and the way he talks about just a, like a, a real human perspective of everything he went through. God calls Abraham and God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to be the father of the Hebrew nations, the father of the Jews. I mean, the father of the Israelites. I mean, that's who Abraham is. And God says, in fact, his name was Abraham, and God changed his name later to Abraham. But when God initially had this conversation with Abraham, he tells him, um, look, here's your part. You got to walk with me. You got to obey me. Let's make a covenant between us. And look, can you count the stars? Can you count them? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Can you count the grains of sand? That's how many on the beach? That's how many, you know, descendants you're going to have. So I'm going to bless you with this promise. But you know what happens? Abraham leaves home and abandons his home, walks away from his home with his wife and a nephew named Lot. And uh, they wait. Nothing happens. In fact, when you look at scripture, it's not till he's like, like 100 years old, till he actually has this son. But a lot of things happened in between. And I want to say this, um, because I think all of us can be guilty of this. Abraham had a promise, but there was a process he had to go through. There was a time of waiting. There was a time of trusting God. There was a time of enduring. There was a time of persevering. There was a time of going through it and sticking with it and grinding it out. And I want to say this. Most of us, we like the promise, but we don't like the process. You hear that? We like the promise. Yeah, give me the dream. I'll hook, I'll hook up to the dream. But then there's this process and it's hard. I got to walk with God. I got to trust God. I got to wait on God. I got to go to church even when I don't feel like going to church. And I got to read my Bible. I don't know. I got to talk to God. And I got to cry out to him. And nothing's happening yet. The promise isn't here. And the promise doesn't come as quick as we want it to come. So most of us, we're down for the promise, but not for the process. 
And I think that's our human nature. In that time, Abraham waits and waits and waits. And the guy is really a broken ornament because when you look at his life, he made some decisions that you could make an argument and say, you know what? That wasn't, you know, God wasn't in that decision. Like he runs from this famine that, you know, that wasn't God's will. He runs from this famine. I mean, uh, another one is, is uh, he lies. He lies to some, a neighboring nation because he's afraid of his life. And he tells his wife, Sarah, look, you tell them you're my sister. Because when they see you, they're going to be like, mm, 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 you were fine. <laughs> and they might kill me for you. So instead, incidentally, if Abraham's concerned about his wife and her looking, uh, she had to be fine, man. I'm just saying she had to look good. And Abraham says, tell them all you're my sister. Lies. It's like one of the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. And then the other thing he does is his, they're waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing is happening and there's no kid and, and, and they're waiting and waiting and, and, and Sarah has an idea. You know what? God's watch must be broken. He's taking too long. I have an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Honey, I have an idea. Love muffin? Why don't you have sex with my Egyptian servant? named Hagar. And this way the promise can come because it's clearly not coming through me. And Abraham, like a good man, says, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> and he has sex with this Egyptian woman. That wasn't God's will. In fact, that created a lot of problems. Lots of problems. Ishmael, there's war going on today in the Middle East still because of that decision right there. That's what happens a lot of times when we take matters in our own hands and we get tired of waiting on God and we just think, make things messy, right? So you see Abraham and these things that happen. But you know what encourages me? Abraham is also known as a father of faith. And in fact, James calls him a friend of God. Isn't that cool? So I want you to hear this because it's so encouraging to me. You can be broken and be called a friend of God. Isn't that good news? Sometimes people think, you know what, when I get my life together, then I'll start going to church. You got it upside down, brother. God says, come as you are. He'll take care of everything else. He'll take care of the messiness. You don't have to get your life together before you come to God. John chapter 1, you read about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word there is capitalized because it's referring to a deity. It's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And the word was with God. In fact, let's read this together out loud, guys. It's such an important, it's a great verse to memorize. In the beginning, come on, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was God. Important. It's, this is, it's so good to know God's word. It, has, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So this is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He's God in the flesh. He's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In Colossians, uh, Paul talks about this as well. And, and the scripture is telling us that all of creation 
was made through Jesus. In fact, it says before God even created the world, Jesus existed. Before God said, let there be, Jesus existed. He is, he is, he has been around forever. In verse four, in him, that's Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you keep reading, verse 14 says, the word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Merry Christmas. There it is right there. Another version says, and he tabernacled. It's such a good Old Testament word. He tabernacled with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of Grace and truth. Isn't that cool? Jesus is full of grace and truth. I like that because we need both. We need grace and we need truth, guys. You can't just have the grace. That's cheap grace. You need grace and truth. Glory to God. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. So I want you to get your head around this for a little bit as we look at Jesus because you can... Abraham did something that I believe God wants all of us to do. Jesus is not a vitamin supplement. He's not an extra app that you download on your phone. Jesus is not an extra layer of health insurance or another 401k plan for you. Jesus is not a safety net. Jesus is not a just-in-case thing. He's not. Jesus is life. Abraham models something for us, and I want you to hear this. Knowing God starts with abandonment. That's a scary word for us, abandonment. If you really want to go to another level with God, if you really want to know God's will for your life, I mean, are you serious? Do you really want God's will for, you really believe, I mean, then you got to be willing to abandon and you see it with Abraham. Abraham left his home and he went to a place that God would show him. He didn't know where he was going. Jesus left heaven and he came to our world and he came as a baby. And he, he dwelt with us. He tabernacled with us. But this art of abandonment is so important. Um, I think our human nature is, okay, um, is it possible for me to like, like know God or walk with God, but without letting go of this. This is so important. I'm not willing to let go of this, but I still want God's purpose. I'm not willing to let go of this relationship, or I'm not willing to let go of this lifestyle. I'm not willing to let go of my thing. I'm not willing to let go of my, you know, my Broncos, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not willing to let go of my phone, whatever it is. But I'm not willing to do that, but I want God's blessing on my life. I think our human nature is, I want both. Right? If we're just honest with our, well, let's just not play church for a little bit, right? If we're honest with ourselves, I want both. But I want you to know, over and over and over and over, in scripture and in history, you see people who did great things, who know God, it starts with this place called abandonment. Jesus said, if you want to, if you really want to have life, you got to be willing to lose your life. I think that's scary for us. 
This whole thing of, I got to let go of this. I got I to gotta commit myself to him. I got to commit myself to honoring him this way. I got to commit myself to serving or giving or loving or forgiving. That per- whatever it is. It's like, that is scary. I think, I think there's this fear, and maybe the devil plays into it a little bit, like, boy, if you let go of this, you know, you need this. You need this. And you're thinking, I don't know if I can let go of this. Now, just, it's that, that thought right there, there's something emotionally and rationally wrong with that question. Do I have to let go of this to have him, to have it? Think about it this way. If there's a God, let's pretend there's a God. <laughs> if there's a God, and he's creator of the universe. If there's a God, and he maintains order. If there's a God, and he created you. And if there's a God, and he desires to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. If God is working in your life, and he knows the desires of your heart, the number of hairs on your head, he knows your fears, your worries, your anxiety, he knows your scars, your pains, your hurts, he knows why you're bleeding, he knows why you're hurting, he knows everything about you, and he wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who he sent to be the savior of the world. And the result of this is you could know life abundantly. The result of this is you could run and not be weary. You can walk and not faint. You can know the Prince of Peace. You can know joy like you've never experienced before. And you don't have to worry about the future, worry about the past. God will heal you and mend you and use you. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So if that's true, why in the world would we get hung up on, do I have to let go of this? Do you hear how irrational that is? Do you hear that? I don't know if you really know the life God wants to give you. <laughs> it's better. I was talking to a young man. He's 17 years old. That was after this service before here. I'm getting really starting to get confused. Now. I don't know how many times I've been preaching this message. I feel like I've been preaching it for two weeks now. <laughs> but, uh, but he told me he was 17, and I can tell he hasn't crossed that line of faith. And I was talking to him outside in the lobby, and I told him, brother, I was 18 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. Let me just tell you, God is good, and he will never let you down, and he will take you places. Jesus will take you places, and he'll give you a life better than you could imagine. Do it now. Don't wait anymore. Give your life over to God now. It's worth it. Abraham was 100 years old when he had his son Isaac with Sarah, who is 90 years old. Even that part right there, check it out. She's 90 years old. All you old people in the house who are like over 40, could you imagine? (laughs) I'm there, I'm there, baby, I'm there. Could you imagine in your age right now, shopping for like a stroller and a carrier and all this stuff and going back and looking for a crib? I mean, wow, I'd be like, she's 90 years old. Now, they've been faithful in their, in they, they've had some hiccups in the process, right? They've, they've had some doubt. But here they are. Now she's 90. She's old and wrinkly, and things are hanging, and now she has a kid. <laughs> you know what? That's what God does, though. God moves when we look at our circumstances and we say, it's too late. Jesus, he's been in the tomb for four days. It's too late, Jesus. The body's all decaying by now. 
See, God's not intimidated by your circumstances. Whatever you're going through, maybe you've been trying for a while or you've been waiting for that right guy or right gal or it's that job or whatever or it's a health situation. God's not intimidated by circumstances. Here's the next girl or the girl. Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, who was Solomon's mom, whose mother was Bathsheba. Say Bathsheba with me. The widow of Uriah. It was just a normal day. There was nothing different about the day. It was so mundane. I would have forgotten it all the next day if it hadn't happened. But it did. And I would never be the same. When it happened, I couldn't speak. I had no control. How could I have stood in defiance to him? After it was over, I walked home. I was different. I'd been stripped of my own self. I fell apart in silence. I was not the only thing I had lost. Like one horrible thing wasn't enough, the world piles it on you until you break under the weight. And then new life bloomed in my body. I was afraid of what he would think. Would he be scared? Would he be angry? I didn't feel prepared. Could I even be a mom? <laughs> and then they delivered the flag to me with a salute and my body went cold. People say God brings good things out of bad things, beauty from ashes, but what about me? Where's my good? Why didn't someone protect me? Haven't I suffered enough? Is everything that I have still not enough? What more can be taken from me? I was overcome with sorrow, but no one knew how could they really know. And my grief grew numb when I lost my son. And I was alone. Life went on, but I was weighed down with all of the things I had lost. I was broken. Wow, Bathsheba. She's part of his family tree. Crazy story. So she just happens to live close to a royal palace. And a famous king lives in that palace. You know who it is? King David. King David is the guy that people, women, wrote songs about. King David is the guy that was a shepherd boy and, you know, fought off lions and bears. And he's the guy who famously killed Goliath with one rock. I mean, he is a famous, and then he chopped off the head of Goliath. I mean, just this dude is a man's man. He's a romantic as well. And he has all these victory badges all over him, so to speak, from these battles. And one day, he's, it's scripture says, when kings go to war, he stayed home. It's a lot in there, just right there. But he, he takes a nap, and he's feeling good, and he goes up to his rooftop, and he just woke up, and he's in a chill mood, and he decides to look at his phone. I mean, I'm sorry. He decides to look over the roof of his palace, and he finds this woman. That was a little too close, guys. I'm sorry. A little too close. But uh, he looks over, looks over and, and sees this woman taking a bath, and she is beautiful. And the king is the king. He's a king. People respond to him, whatever he wants. 
And he sends a servant over there and says, go get that woman, bring her over here. That's Bathsheba. She goes, I mean, the king is requesting her. What is she supposed to do, right? She goes and they have sex. A few days go by and she comes back to the king and she says two words to him. And these two words sometimes are a time of celebration, hopefully, but other times it's like, oh man. You know what those two words were? I'm pregnant. Like, depending on the context, that could be good or bad, right? To be honest. Oh, my goodness. So King David says, no worries. I'm the king. I'll take care of this. Calls for her husband, Uriah, who's on the front lines in the battlefield. Brings him home and just schmoozes him and lies to his face and flatters him and tells him he's an amazing guy. And then he says, why don't you take another one, brother? Take another one, soldier. Take another one. Just keep drinking it. Keep drinking it. Just keep drinking it. This is good stuff. Keep drinking it. Gets him good and, you know, borderline drunk. And then he says, all right, go with your woman now and go spend the night with your woman. He wants her to have sex with him, or him to have sex with her. So they could say, oh, that's our baby. But you know what this guy does? He's so full of integrity. He doesn't sleep with his woman. And the next morning, King David says, what are you doing? And he says, how can I sleep with my woman when my brothers are out in war? Wow. Doesn't that feel good, man? Wouldn't you like to have a friend like that? King David then says, all right, here's what we're going to do. And writes a letter to Joab, his head general, and says, put Uriah in the front lines where it's most dangerous. And let him be killed there. Gives it to Uriah to hand deliver his own death sentence. Uriah takes it to Joab. Joab reads it, looks at Uriah, puts him in the front lines, and he's murdered. He's killed in the front lines. You know what, David, what he did was one of those situations where like, you know what, if nobody were to find out, if nobody were to know, what would you do? It's that kind of moment. So the thing about David is he, he kind of underestimated or overlooked this one little thing. God saw everything. God saw everything. You didn't hide anything. So God says, as a result of your sin, the child inside of Bathsheba is going to die. And he prays and he asks God for mercy and the child dies inside of Bathsheba. Or that baby's, you know, d dies when the baby's born, just dies. And then I thought about Bathsheba. You think about everything she went through. She didn't pursue King David. It was a royal request. So she goes, has sex with King David while her husband's at war. I'm thinking there might be some guilt and shame there, right? And then she goes back, and then she finds out she's pregnant. So now emotionally and physically, she's feeling different now. And she's like, oh, my goodness, I'm pregnant with not my husband, but with this king. And now I don't know what to do. And then she finds out that her Husband has been killed in battle. Now she's a widow. And then, oh, by the way, that child that she had inside of her eventually dies. So you see she's grieving and mourning and guilt and shame and this kind of thing. And there's one word that the Lord gave me to sum up Bathsheba. And here it is. Complicated. Complicated. Any of you have complicated lives? 
Anybody in a relationship that's complicated? Maybe when I, if I were to ask you, hey, what's that relationship like? You might look at me and say, well, is he, is she? Well, it's complicated. How's your relationship with that sibling? Mm, yeah, we talk. Yeah, kind of, mm, sometimes mm, yeah, it's complicated. Oh, what about at church? Why don't you go to church anymore? Well, we used to, and this happened, and I don't know. We kind of did, and we didn't kind of do You know what? It's complicated. You know what you're saying is my situation is so complicated that God understands, and I have an exemption. I have a past from God that's different from you. And because it's complicated, oh, why don't you talk to that person anymore, that person who hurts you? Why don't you ever talk to them anymore? Well, I would, but mm, I would try, you know, I would. It's complicated. God can work through complicated situations to accomplish his purpose. God does complicated. Turn to the person next to you. Just tell them God does complicated. There's nothing you're facing that's too complicated for God. When you look at David, see, God had a bigger purpose. And even through that complicated situation, you know what God is doing? He's humbling David. David is pretty high on himself. One of the things that will keep you from knowing God or going to another level in your relationship with God is a really, really, really old sin. You know what it is? Pride. Pride is when you think highly of yourself and nobody can teach you anything because you know everything. You don't have a teachable spirit. That's pride. Oh, you know, you don't know how long I've been in the church. I can tell you a lot of things about it. You don't know all the successes. I've been in the corporate world, and I've done all this, and I've had the corporate. Uh, you know what I've discovered about pride? You don't have to achieve anything to be full of pride. That's how strong pride is. It's a stubborn, hard heart that um, does, doesn't put you to your knees. You know what God does? He starts ministering to David in the midst of all this. And he uses a prophet named Nathan. And he's like, David, you did wrong, brother. And here's what, here, I, I love this. I love Psalm 32 because David repents of his sin eventually. And he describes his spiritual condition. It's almost like his journal in Psalm 32. He says, oh, what joy. Can we say, oh, what joy just for a second? Oh, what joy. We're in Christmas. For those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. You want to see a happy person? A happy person is someone who's been forgiven by God. Oh, what joy. Someone who has a clean slate. Glory to God. Someone who's been forgiven by God. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Wow, think about that. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. That means you don't have to remember your last lie. Isn't that good? Just complete honesty. What freedom. And then David talks about the time when he was full of pride. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That's what guilt and shame will do to you. It'll discourage you. It'll sap your strength. 
But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. Glory to God. I like like the way Lecrae said it, Christian artist. He said, you've got to admit you're broken before you can be made whole. Isn't that good? And David, at some point, he realized, you know what? I am broken. I have sinned. And he does this thing called repent. And repent is, is literally, it's like I'm going this direction, but I'm going to change direction. In fact, the original Greek word for repent, it means this, a change of mind. A change of mind. So it's this idea of what I was doing was wrong. It's not pleasing in God's sight. And I recognize it now. I'm willing to look in the mirror now. I'm not going to play any more games. I want to get right before God's eyes. So I'm going to have a change of mind. And I'm going to start focusing on God's will for my life. I want to do things that make him smile. I want to please my God. I want to I pursue his righteousness. I want to live a God-honoring life. That's repentance. And for, for some of you, you want to have a stronger marriage, a stronger home. You want to know God's will for your life where you're battling. It all starts with repentance because you can't have a change of heart without a change of mind first, without that repentance. You can't have the promise until you have that repentance. It all starts with repentance. Here's the last guy, guys. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Here we come. Jacob was the father of Joseph. Say Joseph with me. The husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I thought we had our whole lives ahead of us. We're going to get married, follow our dreams, do everything for our children that our parents couldn't do for us. But she got pregnant, and it wasn't mine. Everyone knew it. It was so obvious. But she was mine. The one that I had loved since I was a little boy. Can I take it back now? It wasn't easy. We were going to wait a few years. I wasn't ready to be a dad. I didn't know how. This wasn't our plan. We were both overcome with the feeling of all eyes on us. Eyes that seemed to know something that we didn't that were very heavy with judgment. Our circle was small, but over those nine months, it became smaller and smaller until it was just her and I and a baby that wasn't mine. The weight of shame grew with every passing day of seeing old friends that now pretend not to know me. My parents ignoring my phone calls. I didn't have a high-paying job, and I lost my support system for deciding to stay with the person that I loved. We weren't ready to, for the path that life took us on. I couldn't be the provider that I wanted to be. Even until the very moment of our son being born, there wasn't any room for us anywhere. We had no place to go. We had no plan, no preparation, no intimacy between us. I was broken. I have a heart for Joseph. I think Mary gets all the attention. Like songs are written about Mary. But Joseph, what about, what about that dude? What about him? He's just kind of along for the ride. He's along for the ride. And, and you, you see he's a broken ornament. I mean, think about this. His plan A was to, he asked this woman, this young woman, 
to be his wife. You know, I, I could imagine him saying, would you be my wife? And she said, I do. And, and they're thinking of the dress and they're thinking of where we're going to live and what will our job be and where, how are we going to make money? And life is just starting and the future is bright. And then she comes to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he had to work through that a little bit. He had to work through that. And think about this. Joseph was a stepfather to Jesus. Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she got pregnant. I mean, I, I, from someone who, anybody grew up in a blended family? I just, I love, raise your hand if you've grown up in a blended family. Am I the only one in the house that's grown up? Okay, so in this, for, for those of you who raise your hand, check it out. Jesus had a stepdad. Isn't that cool? Jesus had a stepdad. He had a stepdad. But Joseph didn't originally buy into it. Remember, he has a dream. And I want you to hear this. God will take you to a solitary place, to solitary places, so that you could become aware of his presence. Over and over you see this throughout scripture. It was on a mountain that God spoke to Moses. It was in a dry place that God spoke to Elijah after Jezebel. God speaks to the Israelites where they're wandering in a desert. You see, over and over, God speaks in solitary places. And here's why I think that happens, is because when he takes you to a solitary place, you have no competing lovers. You have no competing voices. I was just talking to someone yesterday and they told me my son has just been put in jail. And they said, would you pray? And I said, yeah, I'll pray. And I'm so grateful. We have a God who will speak to him while he's in that jail cell. And we have a God that doesn't respect visiting hours. He can do anything he wants and he can speak anytime he wants. So God will work in his heart. It's okay. We have a God who speaks in solitary places. And, and sometimes that's us, right? If you go through a hard time, whether it's emotionally, your own private battle, or maybe it's a loss of a job or a breakup or whatever it is, and we find ourselves feeling like we're alone, I want you to know you are not alone. God is with you. Emmanuel is with you. And sometimes God takes you to that solitary place, that place where there's fear because he wants to talk to you. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to know he loves you. He wants more of you. He wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to give your life over to him. Something I think we can learn from Joseph is this. Galatians chapter 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. Culturally, politically, governmentally, spiritually, it was ripe for Jesus to come into the world. Rome was king. The Israel, the Jews were ready for a savior. Roads were put in by Rome, which eventually would be used to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a ripeness about this. And, and here's what I see with Joseph. Joseph recognized the moment. You're in a moment right now. Do you know that? Right now, you're in a moment. 
here's what Joseph was doing. He's with his woman. They're on their way to get married, and they're, they're you know, they're practicing, you know, uh, abstinence, and, and, and they're like, okay, let's do this right. They both, and they have their plan A. Where are we going to get the cake? Where's the dress? Where are all this stuff? And all of a sudden, God disrupts their life. Sometimes God will disrupt your life. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. God will disrupt your life. And you know what happened? The plan A is going to change. I'm, I'm loving the Denver Nuggets right now, guys. So they do something. I'm going to show you a basketball move. Some of you know basketball. You know what this is. But here it is right here. You know what this is? It's a pivot. That's right. It's a pivot. Any hoopers out in the house? It's a pivot. That's what he did. So Joseph is with his plan A with his woman. God disrupts his life. And all of a sudden, Joseph realizes there's a bigger plan. There's something bigger at stake. And it's way bigger than me. So he does this. Let's go with this plan now. Let's do it, Mary. We're going to lose our friends. We're going to lose everything else. But let's do it because this is going to go down in the books right here. There's something about this baby. So let me ask you, are you willing to do this right now? Are you willing to do that? Wow, that's huge. Let me say it like this. It's your time right now. This is your time right now. You don't know what's at stake. This is your time right now. The breath that's in your lungs right now is from God. This is your time right now. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know what challenges you're going to face in 2024. This is your time right now. So you seize the moment like Joseph. Joseph said, okay, I'm going I'm to change plans. And he pivoted and he did it right there because he recognized the moment. Here's Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow, Merry Christmas. But the scripture says, you know what prompted God to do all this stuff? There it is. For God so loved. That was his motivation. Love. Let me just flip this just for one second. If you think it was possible to be a good person on your own, if you think it's possible for humans to evolve to goodness, and you think it's possible to be good all on your own, why would God have sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world? Why would there have been a cross, the place for him to die on? Why? Joseph... Joseph, you know, scripture says that the fullness of time, you know what Joseph wasn't aware of that he figured it out? There was a time clock going, like when you put something in the microwave and you put two minutes or five minutes, you think about this right here, when you microwave something, when you nuke something, think about this. Um, in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve ate this forbidden fruit and their eyes were open, and sin entered the world. In that chapter, there was a time clock that started. And it was counting down. And here it's counting down to Mary and Joseph at the fullness of time. And Joseph recognized this is bigger than us. The Messiah is coming. 
the Messiah is coming. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The scripture tells us there's a heaven and there's a hell. And the way you get to heaven is through Jesus. Let me tell you who he is. He is the light of the world. He is the word of God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Righteous One. He's the author of salvation. He's the founder and perfecter of faith. He's the Good Shepherd. And He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's Jesus. He's our sacrifice, our High Priest. He's our Savior. He's our wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. He's everything. He's everything. And check it out. You have a moment right here, baby. Here it is. Boom. Boom. There's your moment. I want to pray for you so we can go get in debt and celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I want to, there's a little bit of truth in there, doesn't it? Some of you need to receive Jesus. You came to church, and this is a divine appointment. You have a moment. Be a Joseph. And you can invite Jesus into your heart right now. Others of you, you might consider yourself a Christian. But God's calling out the Abraham in you. Be faithful in the process. God, thank you for your word. And right now, if you're ready to receive Jesus, just say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my Savior. I repent of my sins, and I turn to you as best as I can right now, Jesus. Get behind the steering wheel of my life and take over my life. Others of you might need to say, God, I'm willing to abandon. I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to lose my life so I can find my life. God, I'm willing to go through the process. Even though I'm waiting, I choose to be faithful. I choose to prevail. I choose. And God, or maybe it's, God, I'm going to give you my complicated life. Do a miracle. Thank you, God, for hearing us. And thank you for your word. It's so beautiful. I'm so grateful, Jesus, that your family tree is full of broken ornaments. <laughs> thank you. It's, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for his word, guys? Praise the Lord.